Thank you very much, Rabbi Shasik. It really is a uh, treat and a privilege to share some of the words of uh, the Torah of Rabbi Sachs on the occasion of his yard site. I did have the occasion to hear from him personally a uh, number of times as well. I can tell you, uh, Rabbi Shasik, he was here six years ago because it was right before, uh, right before I got here. Uh, but I heard him at a number of different uh, conferences and seminars. And as you hear from his language, his, his eloquence and ability to take complex ideas and present them is and was tremendously unique. He was the ambassador to the world of the, his ability to bring Torah to Jews, religious, irre, not yet religious, uh, Jews, uh, non-Jews. He was simply an ambassador. And one of the reasons for that, and there's a piece of Torah that I wanted to share with you, was his ability to synthesize so many different concepts from the world, the secular world of science and philosophy, to the uh, modern Jewish thinkers, to Torah thought, back from the original uh, commentators and Psukim themselves and his ability to put them all together into a beautifully packaged idea was, uh, was his gift that he left us. And one thought that I want to share that I thought would be relevant and interesting to you would be that of intelligence. Intelligence. How many of you, just a quick show of hands, think of yourselves as intelligent? Better put every single party, put your hand in your hand. Every single one of you is intelligent. Intelligence. Everybody's got intelligence. Come on, guys. Now, now, why are you why are you hesitant? I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you why are you hesitant for the very for the very reason that he came to address and to fight against. There was an idea out in the world which existed deep into the 1980s, which for you was like are like a long time ago. But for you know Dr. Siegel and Rabashasik and myself, that was like you know that was our heyday, way into the 1980s, which means from the 1940s, 50s, 60s. The idea of intelligence. You guys are familiar with the phrase IQ, right? Any of you ever taken an IQ test? Yes. So the way we used to measure intelligence was a series of puzzles. It was a series of cognitive and reasoning test questions. And if you could answer these questions, you were given a high IQ. And you were deemed intelligent. And if you could not answer these questions, then you were given a low IQ and stamped for your entire life as not intelligent. This existed, believe it or not, all the way through to the 1980s. In the 1980s, it began to come to light, that which all of us now recognize as obvious, that there are actual what we would call multiple intelligences. And just because someone might excel at solving puzzles or certain types of cognitive exams, questions. Maybe people do, maybe people don't, but that's not the only way to measure intelligence. You're probably all familiar, just for example, there are artists out there who see the world in a totally different way and can paint or draw or compose poetry or music who are terrible at those IQ tests, but are clearly highly intelligent people. There's what we call in this street smarts. Certain people have it and certain people... Don't. That's not going to show up on an IQ test. Or you're probably familiar with what we would call on the uh, basketball courts, people have high basketball intelligence. And they were watching that there's such a thing as a, as a basketball player, grew up in an inner city, was not privileged to education, couldn't answer any of these questions, but was brilliant, brilliant on the court. And people began, scientists, philosophers, began to look at and question how we define intelligence. And as you're now familiar, they came up with multiple intelligences, one of which is the one that we speak about at great length, emotional intelligence. How many of you guys have heard of emotional intelligence? No. Yeah. 
Emotional intelligence is a different measure of what it means to have different forms of intelligence. And emotional intelligence is the ability to understand our emotions, respond to our emotions, and probably most importantly, recognize other people's emotions and emotional needs. What we would call empathy, being able to feel someone else's pain. And this idea was really first introduced in 1989 by a professor by the name of Peter Salavoy, who wrote this, uh, an article together with uh, a uh, John Meyer and was made famous by Daniel Goldman's book in 1995, Emotional Intelligence. There's an idea of a person's ability, and we try to train and raise our children in such a manner to see, to feel, and recognize other people's emotions, to have empathy, to be able to get it. Rabbi Sachs points out, the Pasuk in the Torah says, You may not oppress a stranger or a convert, because you were strangers in Mitzrayim. Many commentators ask, why does the Torah add that? That there should be just a lach unto itself. Don't oppress a stranger. Period. Why does the Torah have to add, because you were, and if we weren't strangers, then I'm allowed to oppress a, a stranger? If I wasn't a ger in Mitzrayim, then I could? Wouldn't, why does that matter? By Sachs point, the Torah is way ahead of emotional intelligence. They didn't need to wait until 1989 or 1995 to tell us, you experience something. You know what it's like? If you know what it's like, can't do it to somebody else. You have to appreciate what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. If you were once a stranger, then you know how to act to someone else. In Rabbi Sachs's words, emotions matters. Emotions matter. They guide our choices. They move us to action. Just being book smart is one thing, but intellect alone does not necessarily move us to actions. And it has been a failing of intellectuals throughout history to believe that all we need to do is think straight. And if we think straight, we will act straight. Says it's not true. Without a capacity for sympathy or empathy, we become like a computer. Now, after introducing this concept, which is a concept out in the world of uh, book smarts, of intellectual ability when it comes to solving puzzles and emotional intelligence, he writes, or Salvechik, Yosef Dov Salvechik writes about this in different words many, many years prior to this as well. And Salvechik, the Rav, as Rabbi uh, Sachs discussed, introduced that there are really two misoras, two types of traditions that are handed down from generation to generation, and it's a mistake to think there's just one. It's based on what the Pesach says in... Um, when uh, in Mishlei, the Pasuk says, Shema b'ni Musar avicha. Listen, my son, Shlomo HaMelech says, listen to the Musar, the rebuke, or the lesson of your instruction of your father. Ve'altitosh torat imechan. Do not forsake the teachings of your mother. There's a teaching of the father and a teaching of the mother. It's the difference between that. So the Rav of Soloveitchik said as follows. There are two distinct strands of the religious personality. On the one hand, we have from our father, Rabbi Sachs says, we use the language mother and father, but the, we, we have both, in just in a stereotypical way. From a father, he said, we learn how to read a text. Here's a Pesach. You have to read it. You have to translate. You have to analyze. You have to comprehend. You have to conceptualize, classify. How do I take a lesson from this? What do I do with this? That's understanding Intellectually speaking, this is the text. What do I do with it? How does this mitzvah manifest itself? How do I apply the halacha? How do I keep Shabbos? What am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? That is the Torah. 
He says of the father. What is the Torah of the mother? So the Rav, this is Rav, Rav, uh, Rabbi Sachs quotes literally from, uh, from the Rav in one of his most uh, poignant and beautiful experiences he writes about his own mother. And the Rav, the Rav, Rav Salvejik said, from my mother, I learned that Judaism expresses itself not only in formal compliance with the law. Not just, I keep Shabbos this, I'm allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do that. That's not all that it is. But it's also a living experience. My mother, Rosolovechik wrote, taught me that there is a flavor, there is a scent, there is a warmth to mitzvot. I learned from her the most important thing in life is to feel the presence of the Almighty and the gentle pressure of His hand resting upon my frail shoulders. Without her teachings, which quite often were transmitted to me in silence, just watching my mother, how she prepared for Shabbos, how she lit her Shabbos candles, how she would daven for us, how she would pray. I watched my mother live Judaism. Had I not seen that, had I not gotten that scent, had I not gotten that emotion, had I not gotten the feeling, I would have grown up a soulless being, dry and insensitive. As Rabbi Sachs then explains what the Rav here is saying, there's the halacha, there's the do, the don'ts, understanding. Can I read? Can I translate? Do I know what needs to be done? And then there's the feeling. Then there's the emotion. Then there's the why. As Rabbi Sachs describes, these are the two parts of the Gemara, what we call halacha and agadita. I'll give an example. You guys have started Masechet Brachos, right? You guys got to Daf Gimel? Yes. Some of you I know for sure did, right? Daf Gimel and Aleph. The Gemara tells the story of Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi is in... Right? Excellent. One of the Chorvot, may Chorvot Yerushalayim, from the ruins of Yerushalayim. And who comes to watch over him? Elio Navi. Excellent. And he's davening, and Elio waits for him to finish. And they have a whole dialogue. And then at the end of the dialogue, Elio says to him, No, what did you hear? What voice did you hear while you were... And he said, a Basco that was doing what? Cooing like a dove. And what was this voice, this heavenly voice saying as it's cooing like a dove? Oi, Lebanon, what's going to be to the children that they were exiled from their father's home, that because of their sins, I had to burn my own house and destroy my temple? Oi, what's going to be? And what is Elionov saying? How often did you hear that voice? How often? He says, it's not only this one time that you happen to hear it, Three times a day, every day, that voice comes out from Shemayim. Oh, Lebanon, and where are the children? Now, what does it mean three times a day? Shachris, Minchamar, every day. So I, I think I've said this example, but I can't remember if I said it here or not. But you know, every time you go to a website, every time you go to a website, what's going to be the top news site of that particular, what's like the headline of whatever it is on the front page of that website? So it depends what the website is. Let's say you're just, just news. Let's just talk news for a minute. If you go out, for example, to CNN. So what's going to be the top news story for CNN? Whatever is going on in the liberal media. And if you go to Fox News, what's going to be the top news? Whatever the top news is in conservative news. Is it going to be the same story? Usually not. What if you go to ESPN? What are you going to get there? Sports. Wait a minute. That's not most important to CNN. You're not going to find anything on CNN or Fox News. Why are they so different? Because we're talking about different things. ESPN cares about the world of sports. CNN is liberal media coverage. Fox News is conservative. And if you go to Jerusalem Post, what are you going to get? 
What's important to the land of Israel? Totally different head story. Every day, any moment of any given day, you go to those four websites, you'll get four different lead stories. Which means that when you go to the website, you're already giving yourself over to whatever they think is important, and whatever, whatever news information we want to get. Wouldn't it be something, wouldn't it be something, if there was a website that would tell us what's important up in Shemayim, what you need to know as a Jew, today, what's really important? You know, we, have, we get so many sources of news, so many sources of information, but what really matters to the Jewish people? Which one of all of these news stories really matters to the Jewish people? That would be a pretty cool thing. You could check it every day and find out out of all the billions of stories taking place in the world, this is the one that you need to know. These are the top ten stories. Says the Gemara, that you learned in Masechet Brachot, there is such an insight as to what the most important story is, and it's been the same story for 2,000 years running. That lead story is the exact same story. 2,000 years running. You know what that story is? Oh, where are my children? Where are my children? For 2,000 years straight, three times a day, Shachras Milchamarv, Every single day, there's a Vaskal coming out from heaven, groaning, moaning, wailing like a dove, where are my children? Now, this is not our discussion for tonight, that particular concept, but how do we learn, where do we learn that from? From a story, from Agadita. The Gemara tells us that Rav Yossi was in one of the ruins, and Elio and Avi comes to watch. The whole story. What's transmitted through that story? A feeling. What's transmitted through the story is an emotion. What's transmitted through the, feeling, through the story is a value. It's not a halacha. You can't do this on Shabbos. You can't do that. You have to make this bracha on this type of food. That's not what's being transmitted. What's being transmitted is the warmth and understanding of values being transmitted from generation to generation, two different types. Rabbi Sachs sees in the same idea, the words that are used in modern terminology of uh, different types of intelligence and emotional intelligence is Agadata and Halacha, is Torah Imecha and Torah Avicha, which Rabbi Sachs says the language of mothers and fathers is that we all have both, which he ties into one more idea, which we find going all the way back to the times of the Chumash, we have two types of voices, that of the Kohen and that of the Navi. We have a prophet and we have the priests. The Kohen is in the Beit HaMikdash. Does he ever leave there? He's, I mean, he's allowed to go home, but where does he work? Only in the Beis HaMikdash. And he does things every day the exact same. Every generation, they keep it the same way. You could show up one year, come 10 years later, well, how are they going to be doing it? Same way. Come 20 years after that, what's it going to look like? Same thing. What are they going to look, what are they going to physically, what are they going to be dressed in? Same type of clothing from generation to generation. Because that, it represents being a, adhering to the tradition that we have that doesn't change. The law is the law. The Navi, the prophet, represents a different voice. Every generation needs its own voice to transmit the essence, the feeling of what needs to be said to each particular generation. Where did do, where do the prophet teach? Where, where did the prophet, where did the Navi stand? Where did he teach? There is no place. He would go wherever he needed to be. It wasn't only in the Beit HaMikdash. What did he wear? What clothing did you need to wear as a prophet? I don't know, whatever they wore in those days. A prophet in one generation looked like everybody else. And the prophet 10 years later, 
I don't know, styles change, the Prophet also wore, you know, even the rabbis who wear suits and ties, but if you ever noticed, sometimes the ties are thick, they get thin, things change over the course of, there's a style that goes on. What did the, the Kohen never veered off of what he was supposed to wear. He represented tradition and adhering to it. The same, a Navi, whatever he wanted, whatever he wanted, because he was talking to the people in the language of the people, wearing the clothing of the people, in the place of the people, there are two different traditions. There's a tradition of, this is the law, this is what you need to do. But if you only have that, if you don't have the heart, if you don't have the soul, you don't have the feeling, you don't have the emotional intelligence transmitted, the feeling of the warmth, the flavor, you don't have anything. You have to have them both. And that, Rabbi Sachs says, he weaves together the modern terminology of emotional intelligence down to the words of the Rav or Soloveitchik as he talked about what he learned from his father, what he learned from his mother, down to the Kohen and the Navi is the combination of the two things that every Jew needs to be able, as we just saw the video as he discussed, to have greatness thrust upon us, we need both. We need to be exact in our practice of what we can and can't do, how to learn, how to understand, how to analyze. But if you're only analyzing and it doesn't have any heart, it doesn't have any emotion, it doesn't have any feeling, it doesn't transmit. And we need them both. And we get them from two different sources, two different traditions, but together, Rabbi Sachs says, that is the brilliance. That is the way to perpetuate from one generation to the next. And as I look at you are that next generation to take in both from that which you learn, the do's and the don'ts, you have to understand, you have to be able to read, you have to be able to translate, you have to be able to analyze, understand, and then do it all with, with feeling and with emotion and with heart and understanding the great privilege that you all have to be of the greatest nation, to have the greatest gift, to have the relationship with Hashem that we all have. And those two things together is allow, uh, allows us and continues us to uh, push forward. Those are our thought, eight thoughts from Rabbi Sachs on the occasion of his yard site. Thank you, Rabbi Shasek, for the opportunity to share it.